G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story In school, I was very good at studies. I always would get the top grades in the school for everything, virtually. And I was into things like chess and stamp collecting. And I started to play around with computers when I was in year eight or nine. Mm -hmm. I was programming computers at that stage in like 1979. Wow. There was something called the TRS-80 and I went into Dick Smith Electronics and I made a little game on their computer, which I sold to them actually. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, yesterday we heard Marilena from Romania share her story and how she met and married Michael Fackerel from Australia, who was planting a church in Romania. Today, Michael will share his story and it will become abundantly clear that he's somewhat of a computer whiz and is extremely talented in this area. This has allowed him to do some pretty extraordinary things in ministry, including starting a TV channel in India and reaching millions. But that's just one of the ministries they're involved in. We'll find out more as Michael shares his story with Karen Hunt. Now you, together with Mari, are a co-founder of New Hope TV, reaching millions, mostly in the country of India. But you were born in Melbourne. So let's track back to your early years. What were those years like in Melbourne before you actually moved overseas at such a young age? Well, actually, I don't remember much before I moved to America. I was three years of age when I actually got on a plane with my family and went over to Los Angeles. I think my first memory is actually the food on the airline going over to the States. As a three-year-old? As a three-year-old, yes. What do you remember? I think I remember the hash brown, something like that. (laughs) Okay. When you talk about your family, what did that look like? Mum, dad, how many kids? I was the firstborn. So at that stage, it was just me and my baby brother. Uh And what was it that took your family over there? My father was a lecturer in applied mathematics at Monash University. In those days, you got opportunities to do like exchanges with other places. And so he actually went and taught mathematics in Los Angeles somewhere in Pasadena. We used to live for a couple of years. And your mum, what was her thing? I guess she was a a young mum with young boys. That's right. Well, as you know, it's a lot of work to be a Mm mum. And uh, I'm sure she wasn't doing anything except running after us constantly and helping to raise us. Do you remember those early years in Pasadena? A little bit. I remember them talking about smog all the time. Oh, there's so much (laughs) smog. And I remember we had this special water cooler thing that we had to drink water from. I have vague memories of some of the places that we stayed in and going to a little kindergarten and things like that. Then we returned to Melbourne, started school and did kindergarten in year one in Melbourne, around Box Hill somewhere. And after that, we moved to Sydney. Lots of moves already. You're only, what, five years of age? Something like that, yes. Okay. So the move to Sydney was again for your dad and his work? Yes, dad got a job at Sydney University. We were in the north side on the North Shore mm-hmm. in St. Ives. Was faith a part of your family culture at that young age? Was there a Christian influence back then? Most definitely. My father was a godly man and uh, my mother also. We even read the Bible every mealtime in the evening and uh, we went to church every Sunday. I went to Sunday school, that sort of thing. So what kind of flavour of church? What, what branding would you say? 
Well, we went to an Anglican church, like a conservative evangelical Anglican church when I was growing up. Which is actually a far cry from the church where we actually met many years ago. You and your wife, Mari, myself and Greg, our boys were newly born. We did have a shared connection at the North Shore Christian Centre in Chatswood there. That's right, yes. We were in Chatswood. We went to North Shore Christian Centre for a couple of years. Michael, your teenage years, what were you interested in? What did you love? What were you good at? What flicked your switch? In school, I was very good at studies. I always would get the top grades in the school for everything, virtually. And I was into things like chess and stamp collecting. And I started to play around with computers when I was in year eight or nine. Mm -hmm. I was programming computers at that stage in like 1979. Wow. That Mm. was like when it was all starting out, I imagine. Exactly, yeah. There was something called the TRS-80 and I went Uh into Dick Smith Electronics and I made a little game on their computer, which I sold to them, actually. Mm. You're a clever one. So did that give you a confidence boost? How are you feeling at that particular time in your life? Well, I was really quite unhappy at school in a lot of ways because I didn't know how to get on with people. Mm -hmm. I was too proud, I was too egotistical and they would tease me and I would cry and I'd get all upset and they'd Mm. just make them mock me further. Mm -hmm. So to compensate for all that, I decided I'd really excel at my studies and I'd really do as well as I possibly could. But basically I was a proud person. I remember my grandmother saying to me on the Dutch side of the family, she said, Michael, when you were growing up, you were a ball of pride. And that's true. I was very much trying to prove myself to everybody. I was very much trying to find self-worth through what I was able to achieve academically, intellectually, in my hobbies, in all those areas. And I was very self-focused. And so that didn't make me a very happy person. I was schooled in Christianity, in Bible stories, in head knowledge about God. I knew many doctrines. I knew many things. But what hadn't penetrated into my heart was the love of God and the need to change, the need to become more other-focused the need to put God ahead of all my selfish pursuits, all my own interests, and to lay down my life for the Lord. That I didn't have, even though I had a lot of Bible knowledge and a lot of theory about Christianity, I suppose. And so things just kept going on like that. I was pursuing what I wanted to do, so what gave me intellectual pleasure and stimulation, all those hobbies, all those interests, winning at chess, playing all those games, getting into computers, succeeding at writing computer programs and things like that. That was something that I found very much interesting. That was my fantasy world in which I had to retreat and uh, I didn't have to deal with people who were rejecting me. I could get away into a place where I was having fun and it didn't matter what anyone else was doing. And I think a lot of people are in that place today as well. Just in different ways. Computers, is that then something that you pursued into university in your tertiary studies? Yes, it was. I also wanted to change the world using computers. I wanted to be a researcher and do all that sort of thing. So I went into computer science in university. Back in those days, it wasn't as advanced as it is today, but it was still something that I found very interesting. Programming was a big part of what we had to do, but I also had to study physics, mathematics. I did some linguistics and other subjects that I thought were interesting as well some economics, some accounting. Basically, after a while, we got to specialise more in computing. At that stage, I was also working on various kinds of software projects for people, and I had been doing that in high school anyway. So it was something that I was orientating my whole life towards. My goal was to go into that field. It was a sunrise industry. It was all new and wonderful, and I was doing that. So in my second year of university, at the beginning of that year, 
I actually left home and moved into residential college at University of New South Wales. Really enjoyed my time there. Michael, what was it that happened that really did change your life at that stage? I think the first thing that happened was I was drawn into some Bible studies and some presentations of the gospel while I was at university. Now, bear in mind that I considered myself a Christian. I mean, I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and all this kind of thing. I'd been to church like every week of my life. And even when I was in first year university, I continued to do that. However, I wasn't living for God, as I mentioned before. And what was really great for me, the first thing that happened that was significant was a group called Student Life got into my life. And one of the guys there started to disciple me and take me on a journey of actually following Jesus and doing some of the things I was unwilling to do before for God. And that really changed me because when I started to lay down my own will and started to do what I knew God wanted me to do, but I was never doing, that's when my conversion really started to take place, I would say. So a conversion experience there based at USW. UNSW, yeah. But it wasn't like a sudden conversion experience. It was more like a gradual yielding to God mm-hmm. because I thought I were he was a Christian. Later on, I did have a dramatic encounter with the Lord, but it wasn't at first like that. It was kind of like a gradual change. It was a renewing of the mind. It was a struggle for really how I was going to live my life and what I was going to live for. And that's what happened in second year of university. I basically made up my mind I'm going to live to please God. And is that when your own uni evangelism kicked off as well? Yes, because I was taken out to talk with people and to get experience in talking with total strangers about the gospel, which was something I was quite terrified to do. Mm. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the idea. But for me, it was the best thing ever because it really got me publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. And therefore, I changed because it was a public confession now that I was a Christian, that I was a believer. So did you become a part of a Christian campus outreach organization? Is that what it was? Well, I was discipled by people in an organization called Student Life, and I had the pleasure recently of meeting some of those same people after so many years. But they really had a major impact on my life because they were living the Christian faith and they were publicly telling people about Jesus. And when I yielded on that point, I think that's when joy came into my life for the mm-hmm. first time from the Holy Spirit, and that's when I began to change my direction. So here you are, you're what, 19 years of age by mm-hmm. now? I believe you had quite a significant baptism experience. I wasn't actually baptized in water except as a baby, but what really happened for me first was an encounter with the Holy Spirit because I started to take the Bible seriously. Naturally, I was interested in all the things in the New Testament. And I asked the question, if these things happened when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, why aren't we seeing it happen here today? That was my question. And the answers I was getting to that weren't satisfying me. So it sent me on a journey of discovery and searching. Some of my friends from around St. Ives had recently met a Pentecostal preacher who had talked with them about these things and they testified of their experiences. So I got very interested in this. This was at the beginning of January 1985. Mm -hmm. Quite a contrast to your traditional Anglican upbringing, yeah? Well, yes and no. I think the great thing about the Anglican church was that they taught me that the Bible is the authority for the Christian life. And I learned many, many things. And I'm sure that I was restrained from much evil just by being exposed to the Word of God and hearing Mm -hmm. the preaching of the gospel there, Mm -hmm. even though somehow it didn't fully penetrate my life or there was nothing taking me from being a hearer of the word to being a doer of the word. But I thank God for that time. It really added a lot of value to a lot of people's lives. But the dimension of experiencing God wasn't something that was part of my life until 1985. So what difference did that make in your life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit for you personally? Well, I went from believing that God exists and believing that the Bible is the word of God to knowing that God had touched me to feeling God 
tangibly and knowing that everything that was written there was actually relevant and up to date mm-hmm. for us today. So that changed my whole approach to the scriptures and my whole approach to Christianity and the Christian life because I realized now a lot of the things I had been taught that weren't applicable actually were and a lot of the promises that I'd never seen fulfilled anywhere actually could be fulfilled. So it opened a whole vista of possibilities for me in my thinking and became a passion in my life to pursue God now because I knew that we were talking about a living God that actually did things, that answered prayer, that responded and communicated in personal ways to us. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is chatting with Michael Fackerel, who's sharing his life journey and how he became passionate about sharing his faith with others. Next, we'll hear more about his computer skills and how he's using them in ministry. And we'll also hear what his wife, Marilena, has learned from all of their experiences in ministry. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. This is The Story. We're back with Karen Hunt chatting with Michael Fackerel, who's sharing his life journey. Next, we'll hear more about his computer skills and about his trip to Romania, where he met his wife, Marilena. Michael, I'm actually interested to know a little bit more before you took off as Mr. Evangelist. Back to the computer studies. You mentioned to me off air that you really got quite heavily involved with the Dungeons and Dragons game. Now, I remember kids when I was young, dark, deeply involved. You knew something's going on. They're in their own little world. Tell us about that involvement in your life. See, because my Christianity up to that point had been basically theoretical and all about having the right doctrine, there was still in my life a hunger for the supernatural that hadn't been met. I wasn't sure if the supernatural was real, but what was great about that game for me was you could have a vision for achieving something and you could also live in a fantasy world where you were operating in magic, using magical powers and advancing in your power and stuff like that. And so it was a real passion for us. We'd sometimes play it till two in the morning and we'd just love it. And I even wrote computer games that implemented that. Of course, many things like that are available on the App Store today because people have just taken that up. It's so much fun. It's a, it's a world of escape. But it was out of that emptiness, out of that desire for something powerful, something real, something where supernatural was involved. I think everybody's got a hunger for the supernatural in their life. At least I did. I was right into that stuff. I found it later just how dark it was because all us church guys were doing it as well. But it was after encountering the Holy Spirit and knowing him that my life started to turn around more dramatically and and I lost interest in that game immediately. What effect did it truly have on you personally? Well, as I said before, I felt God, I experienced God and my desires changed radically. I wanted to tell people about the gospel. It wasn't a discipline anymore. It was more like a joy. It was like, I've got to tell this news. I could feel God like electricity in my body. I can feel it right now, actually, just how God's touching me. And that was very motivating. And my desire started to change. It was a long process of learning new things and the existence of the spiritual world and what that meant as a Christian. No longer did I need occultic fantasy. I lost interest in that because now I had the living God. This was in third year university when I was doing really well. I was getting high distinctions for all my subjects. I was expected to do honours and get the university medal. I was still basically pretty much going on that path, 
But in the middle of the year, I actually had a dream where I saw a representation, as it were, of people sinking down into hell in my dream and realizing that it was happening slowly and imperceptibly to the people themselves. They weren't really aware of what was going on. They were kind of uh, being slowly going down the drain, so to speak, but it was happening so slowly. I realized people were going into destruction and I thought to myself, look, I've got to do something about this. I want to do something about this. So it actually caused a big change in my life, a big change in the goal and purpose of my life. Now, reaching others with the gospel became the major thing, and my own interests and studies and the fun things I could do and play with became a secondary concern because now it was about life and death for people. Mm. So you graduated from uni? I did graduate. I'm glad I listened to my parents and did graduate because I felt like (laughs) dropping everything after that dream. And And then? Then instead of going into a very lucrative career, because back in those days, almost anybody who was a programmer could make an absolute fortune. I mean, people were making $200 an hour as database consultants. Back in the days when you could buy a house for like eight or $10,000. So it was such big money. But to me, the experience with God was so powerful, I didn't care. All I wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. All I wanted to do was fulfill the call of God that he'd confirmed to me was his will for my life. And so I actually went into an organization called Students for Christ, which was a ministry on campus. And we started groups on University of New South Wales and later on Macquarie University and uh, started discipling people and preaching the gospel in all kinds of radical ways in that place. I got into the professional world for a few years and actually worked as a programmer and did things like that. And then it was in 1992 that I got the opportunity to go to Romania for the first time. I had been teaching in a early morning prayer meeting in a Korean church The opportunity came up to go to Romania. Communism had just fallen. Ceausescu had just been deposed and basically assassinated or however you want to put it. That had just happened a couple of years before. This was something I'd been dreaming about for a long time, going into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So when the opportunity came up, I took it with both hands. We saw God moving in that country, a spiritually hungry place at that time. We saw a lot of miracles as we preached in churches, on the streets. All kinds of healings were taking place en masse. People were listening, and it was very exciting those days. So did you enter Romania as an evangelist, as a, a church planter? The first time I went in 1992, it was basically to preach and just mm-hmm. be part of what was happening in other churches. But I soon realized after several months that they weren't ready for what God had put in my life in the sense that they were quite traditional. For example, you had to have authority from the head office in in the capital of the city to be allowed to lay hands on anybody for healing. They accepted it from me because I was a foreigner. They didn't try and impose that on me, but I realized that there was a need for a whole kind of movement where people were going to actually be free to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit in church life and in evangelism. That's when I realized, hey, we need to plant a church. And so that's what happened the next year in 1993. And it was that year that I met my wife. And what a blessing Mari has been to you, working side by side, evangelism and ministry. I know you went to the US, you had a time in the inner city area of Toledo, other countries as well. You've actually traveled many, many different countries, many, many different moves. You had a time there where you actually went back to the professional world for a while, but you had lots of different trips to and from India, didn't you? I did, yes. I was working as an SAP programmer, earning some good money, and it enabled me to go to India and do evangelistic meetings and things like that, which were very exciting because we saw a lot of miracles, a lot of people come to Christ. We saw deaf mutes healed, and all kinds of amazing miracles took place. It was a very exciting time in my life, and I got a love for India at that time. You and Mari, you had a little baby girl. 
you moved to India, you truly did pursue ministry in that country. Yes, because we'd seen the possibility of starting a television network. And so that's what we did in 2005. When Lisa was just two and a half months old, we took off and got on a plane. Marilena had really been struggling with postnatal depression, but she just went anyway. And by God's grace, we were able to get a television channel established in Bangalore City. Michael, thanks so much for tracking your journey with me, for sharing your story. God bless you, Michael. God bless your family. I wish you well. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Karen. That was Michael Fackerel sharing his life story with Karen Hunt. And in our remaining few moments, we'll end with Michael's wife, Marilena, sharing the lessons she's learned from all of their experiences in ministry. Um, the biggest lesson that I can say out of all my 20-something years as a Christian has been to not place my happiness on anything temporal because if your happiness depends and is sourced from something that's temporal like you know having children having great family life having finances having a career having a great ministry even and something happens to that temporal thing it disappears maybe people die or the ministry goes away or or you get sick and you can't do it anymore or something happens you will be devastated So God took me through a very painful process to learn this lesson, but I've learned that it's wise for my happiness to only depend on my eternal relationship with God because this is something I cannot lose, I can have forever. And I consider all other aspects of blessings and benefits in life as only an extra bonus. So if I have it, I'm blessed. If I don't have it, I can live without it. So I can have a great family, I can have children, I can have a ministry or I can have finances, but I can also live without it, without losing my happiness. Um, A second lesson that I have learned was the issue of humility. It's so easy after you've had a lot of success and you've reached millions of people to feel like I've arrived. I've achieved a lot. I'm better than others or something like that. The temptation to pride can be quite great. But I've learned that, as God says in the Bible, the end of a thing is better than the beginning of it. So my life has not ended. As long as my life is going on, I have not finished the race. I have not fulfilled the will of God yet. Therefore, I stay humble because the moment I allow pride and I focus on all my achievements, pride gets in and makes me prone to what the Bible says, pride comes before a fall. And I don't want to fall because I've got more to achieve in uh, the kingdom of God. So the only time when I want to feel good about what I have done, I can enjoy what God has done, but I'm not focusing and gloating on it and meditating on it. I'm focusing on what is next that I have to fulfill for God's kingdom. And that keeps me humble because I know I keep on needing the grace of God to go on to be able to fulfill the rest part of the will of God. And another very important lesson that I've learned is no matter how many millions you're reaching, still make time, and I make time intentionally for the one person that needs help somewhere. It keeps your heart humble. It keeps your heart in the love of God. And you you sense the the heart of God more than anything when you just get down in the dirt and you help somebody who is in need of any kind. It doesn't have to be spiritual necessarily. It could be just practical help. So don't forget the one while you're reaching the millions. 
And if anyone is interested to make contact with you and or Michael, find out more about what you're doing, your future endeavours, your current endeavours, what's the best way they can reach you? Um, we have a website uh, called christian-faith.com, which Michael and myself have set up with thousands of Christian articles. So if you want to contact us, uh, there's a contact page there. You can email us for prayer or any Christian counselling or any needs that you may have. We're happy to help. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Marilena Fackerel. And before that, we heard from her husband, Michael, sharing his story. And if you'd like to learn more about their ministry, or as we just heard, if you'd like to contact them, the website is christian-faith.com. That's christian-faith.com. The website is full of many articles, testimonies, and updates on what they're doing in ministry. It was great to hear how God is using Michael's extraordinary computer and technical gifts for his glory. As the Bible says, each of us should use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Well, thanks for joining us for Michael and Marilena's stories. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. That was a particularly hard time of my life. You know, I, I look back now and I think God was really there, but at the time I felt abandoned by by everyone, by my family, by God, because I felt, you know, the way the surgery was explained to me was that uh, it was extremely risky, I could potentially die, but also I'd had a rough time. I was not raised with my biological father. He would come and say hello, but then he'd say, I don't want anything to do with you. Terry Higgins was given only a 5% chance of surviving because of severe health challenges she encountered when she was only two years old. Terry will share how she has not only been able to survive, but has thrived despite living with a disability. We'll hear her story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.